Hey everybody, welcome to the Eurasian Americans. Thanks for tuning in. This is your host, Jerry Wan. We'll get to my conversation with Danny Tran, CEO of Sunfish Sauce, uh, here shortly. But before uh, we do that, I wanted to sh- highlight an amazing initiative that I learned about uh, through my friend Nancy. And it is Parenthood Together's fundraiser called Feeding Heroes. They are raising money right now with the goal of providing food and delivering food and support to our frontline healthcare workers in the tri-state area in New York City. This fundraiser is spearheaded by the group Parenthood Together, which is headed by Jenny Kim from New York City. So we want to help Jenny. We want to help her crew uh, raise funds, bring attention to it, and to be able to feed our healthcare workers who are working on the front lines to make sure that we can all stay safe. Thanks to Jenny and her team for doing this. To learn more, go to parenthoodtogether.com and find out more ways you can get involved. And now my conversation with Danny Tran of Sunfish Sauce. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans. Uh, It is in early part of April. Um, We're going through some extremely challenging and new times here um, around the world. And I still want to focus on telling really great, inspirational, and and badass Asian American stories. So uh, our guest today... You may have tried his product. You may have uh, seen his product um, at your local stores, um, Asian markets in particular, and have always wondered how does an authentic uh, Vietnamese fish sauce make its way to American grocery shelves? Um, so before we get started, I want to thank Ty uh, of Asians Never Die for making this introduction and bringing Danny into my world and into our show. And so Danny, welcome to the show. Hey guys, um, thanks for having me, Jerry. And um, yeah, I'd love to share my story with your listeners. If you're watching this video, you know that he is the quintessential marketer because he's wearing his company's Apollo <laughs> shirt. And you know it's custom because it's got the Polo logo on it too. So, you know, let, let's, let's start and, and we'll talk about the, the fish sauce business and how you ended up uh, bringing that over here stateside. But let, let's start with um, you and your family's, you know, immigrant or, you know, Asian American origin story. How did you guys end up in the States under, you know, what circumstances and and where did you guys first move to? Got it. So um, I grew up in Saigon, Vietnam, and um, my grandfather was um, part of the Vietnamese government, the Southern Vietnamese government. Um, And then he also worked with the American government. So after a re-education camp, I think he got locked up for around 17, 18 years, which is a lot. Yeah, normally re-education camps only a couple of years, but he was uh, pretty high up there. So, you know, they, they, they made sure to teach him how to farm real well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so after 17, 18 years, there was a group of um, Vietnamese people, uh, in, um, including the, uh, the American government, and they set up a special visa. Um, I think it was um, HO. That's what they called it, HO visa. And so what it is, is that it allows, um, you know, Southern Vietnamese um, families that work with the government to be able to come over here. Now, my story is kind of special because usually you can bring your kids, but then if your kids have kids already, it's, um, they don't allow it. Um, yeah, so some way, somehow, uh, God bless us, and we were able to all go together. So three generations went, my grandparents, my parents, and me, my younger brother. 
So we landed in, uh, my uncle sponsored us and we landed in Costa Mesa, California in 91. Yeah, 91 when I was eight. So I grew up in Costa Mesa. You know, funny thing is got caught up, you know, normal gang stuff, you know, Asian kids in the 90s didn't didn't know your, <laughs> I didn't know if I was Asian or I didn't know if I was Vietnamese or I didn't know if I was American, you know. Uh, we were kind, I, I think my generation, we were kind of stuck in between. We call us, um, a lot of people call us 1.0, right? I, I'm sorry, 1.5 or something like that. Yeah, I, I you know, I moved here uh, to nearby Fullerton in 92 oh. when I was also eight. So, you know, it's, at, at that time, there wasn't a lot of, sure, there were older Asian Americans, you know, mm. in our respective communities. But I, I think you know, something you're alluding to is there just wasn't a lot, an ample amount of role models to look up to, to say like, hey, we can do that. Um, so, you know, the the things and the people that we were uh, being influenced by, I, I think, you know, maybe a little bit different than what we're trying to do here in this show. Um, so, so take me back to Costa Mesa as, as you're growing up um, <laughs> it, through, through your high school years. Um, you know, what at what point, I, I guess, um, did you decide to then the next chapter of your life was starting you know a, a restaurant in Vietnam um, not, not to skip over an entire decade of your life but you know talk to me about your growing up and then how you viewed identity and the way that it formed what you wanted to do with your life mm. yeah so basically real quick so grew up in Costa Mesa went to elementary school and junior high and back then uh, Costa Mesa um, junior high and high school was all clumped in together yeah, it was 7 to 12, so I got wow. in trouble real quick, right? Hang out with the, the older boys. And so my parents caught wind of it, and they're like, oh, we're, we're moving you. So so instead of uh, finishing high school in Costa Mesa, they moved me to Brea, and I did my whole four years of high school there. Um, I think at Brea, Brea, uh, Brea High School that time, I could count the Asians with you know my two hands. So being from Vietnam to America was a culture shock. And then going from, you know, pretty much an Asian high school or at least half and half, you know, yeah. uh, to a predominantly, you know, all white school. It was <laughs> another culture shock. But I, I really, truly believe, you know, that move really saved me from potentially, you know, being in prison or just doing stupid stuff and like getting locked up. And so after high school, you know, I, I did what all good Asian kids do. You know, you go to college. Um, I think the three big things your Asian parents want you to be is what? Doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? One of the three, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went to Cal Poly Pomona for engineering. It didn't quite work out. And so um, after the first quarter, I uh, transferred to Cal State Fullerton for business. Mm. Um, in college, I worked in streetwear. You know, that was really popular at the time. All my friends were in it. You know, uh, Nike Dung, Supreme and all that stuff. And then after that, I got into banking. So I became a business banker. And um, I think I was around 27. And uh, a couple of my friends had moved back to Saigon. Um, Saigon, at, during the early 2000s, was kind of like the golden age of, um, you know, Vietnam, where it's really, uh, you know, how should I say this? It's, it, it went through an industrial revolution of all sorts. And so it was growing leap and bounds. And a lot of Vietnamese were just moving back there. And also expats, you know, um, collectively, we call it the wild, wild east, you know, kind of like when yeah. people came to California for the gold rush. 
So 27 years old, I moved back there. A friend of mine was like, hey, you know, why don't you give it a try? What, what do you got to lose, you know? Um, OC, Orange, living in Orange County, we're kind of in the suburbs, so things are a little bit slower. And people have the tendency to say, you know, <laughs> you know nothing ever changes in OC, kind of, kind of like we're in a bubble. Yeah. So uh, I guess that was a fork in my life where I was like, hey, you know, I wasn't really happy with my life here. Not, not that there wasn't anything not to be happy about. Um, in hindsight, moving to Asia and Vietnam really opened my eyes to see how blessed we are in Orange County or just America as a whole. And so 27, I moved back to Vietnam. I told my parents I'd be there for around three months. It, uh, it ended up being three years. <laughs> <laughs> so that move to Vietnam really changed and shifted my life from you know, um, being a model minority, doing corporate jobs and stuff to, to thinking twice, hey, you know, is there something out there more um, for me? So tell me about Danny going back to Vietnam because right now I think you know even uh, I don't know 15 years later or you know 10 years later uh, we see more Asian Americans friends of ours going back to Asia for business or entrepreneurial opportunities. Uh, uh -huh. Something that comes up a lot is you know once you're Vietnamese American or once you're Korean American, you are also treated slightly differently when you come back home because you're not a local anymore. Yeah. Did, did you get any of that? How, how was that in, in your reacclimation back home, <laughs> per se, at 27? No, yeah, definitely. You can see that in a major city, but even more so on the countryside. You know, you're, you're almost borderline celebrity status just because uh, you're, you're considered a, um, I don't know how to call it, like, uh, we call it VITQ, which means like Vietnamese abroad, right? And so... Um, and, and so, you know, that does play into why a lot of expats or, you know, Asian Americans move back to Asia. But even more so, I think that we finally, uh, for a lot of us that are kind of like halfers, you know, kind of half American, half Asian, we kind of see that um, us as a puzzle piece, we fit better into that puzzle because now um, understanding best, uh, best of both worlds and having both culture we can actually, in terms of business or just corporate um, corporate positions, we're able to kind of be the bridge between Asian culture and American culture when doing business. And so a lot of the, I, I feel like not just Vietnam, but a lot of the Asian countries, they see that as an advantage. Whereas it was weird when I was growing up, I was like, man, I'm kind of half, I'm not sure if I'm Vietnamese or American, and that seems to be a disadvantage. But moving back to Asia, you know, um, things that were a disadvantage to us became an advantage. So I, right. I, I can see there's an allure to that. And it's a positive, you know, it's definitely so. a positive thing. Yeah. yeah. How, how did your three months turn into three years? So I was there for three months and I met, um, I met a girl there who is now my wife. Uh, yeah, so I met her and, um, and then things just happened. You know, I met her and then I, I came back to the States and then I told my parents, um, initially I went to Vietnam to visit family and friends. And then uh, I told my parents, I'm gonna be back, I'm gonna go back for another three months. They're like, okay. So that three months ended up being three years because I met somebody. And it just kind of happened. You know, the crazy thing is, at least in my group of friends, um, people would think I'd be the last person to move back to Vietnam or Asia. People would think I'd be the last person to 
um, you know, be in a long-term relationship and get married. I think it's always that way, right? <laughs> the last one in the yeah. group always ends up being the first one doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So actually meeting her is how I got into the food industry and doing restaurants and the fish sauce. Yeah. What, what was the first thing that you, what you tried or attempted to start in Vietnam within the food space? So, so um, to backpedal a little bit, I did try to find corporate jobs in Vietnam because mm. I was doing, uh, you know, banking, business banking, but they were offering, you know, like seven fifty a month to live in a major city. You know, I couldn't afford that to live on seven fifty a month. You know, maybe if I was in the countryside, then I could. Yeah. So, um, so actually, it 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 happened by chance because I was craving for boiling crab. You know, boiling crab. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Vietnamese Cajun crawfish. Yeah. Um, I was craving for it like crazy. The um, I don't. Um, and so my friends came back to visit all the time. Being in Vietnam, um, everybody that comes back, they'll 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 hit you up because they want you to take them around, you know. And you don't mind seeing familiar faces. So <laughs> I asked them to bring me back some spices. I made it, and I was like, "Hey, this is pretty good." Um, and then I, uh, a little light bulb went on inside my head and I was like, hey, you know, um, there's no Cajun or crawfish in Vietnam at that time at all. This was about eight years ago, eight, nine years ago, um, 2011, 2012, maybe about 10 years ago. Um, so I was like, yeah, I know Vietnamese people in America, they really like this stuff. Um, and Asians too, obviously. Um, and then I was like, I think people in Vietnam would like it too. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that's how it got started. I, uh, I opened up with a friend. He's also an expat. He grew up in Orange County, went to UCI. Um, and uh, we opened our first restaurant, I think 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. So we were the first to introduce like Vietnamese Cajun to Vietnam. And then we brought crawfish over. And uh, long story short, uh, we got like four locations now in Saigon. Uh, it's uh it it was a very tough learning experience you know being in the kitchen it's i thought it would be easy hell i'm just steaming seafood making some sauce throw it in a bag shake it up and serve it right <laughs> <laughs> little did i know what i was getting myself into i mean me and my wife we were doing like 10 12 14 hour days and then after that we would have friends visiting so we take them out you know partying and stuff but in hindsight, you know, th those were some of the best uh, years of our um, uh, time of our life. <laughs> we were young and, you know, we, we had full of energy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if I could do it now, but yeah. <laughs> what, what were some of the lessons that, what was the most useful thing that you could in, in helping some business problems, having the duality of understanding of how businesses operated here through your experience at the bank and just growing up here and then trying to bring a brand new concept to an Asian country? Yeah, you know, in Asia, doing business in Asia, it really helps if you're able to understand Asian culture and American culture and realize that everything you bring from America, won't. it, it might be better, but it won't necessarily work out just due to culture differences. And then also, sometimes you just have to give up the idea of, hey, you know, in America, it works really great. I'm going to change the world in my country, you know? Yeah. Asian entrepreneurs have that thinking, hey, I'm going to bring something away from America. I'm going to take it to Asia and it's going to blow up. 
And sometimes, you know, I would say maybe one out of nine times it might work out, but majority of the time from what I see and experience with other friends doing business in Asia, it doesn't, you know, you, you really have to come to Asia with a more humble um, approach. You know, a lot of times I notice a lot of Asian entrepreneurs thinking, you know, there, there are big sharks, you know, coming back to Asia because you do get some limelight, you know, oh, you're American, you know, they, they do gravitate towards you or, you know, speak highly of you. But once it gets down to doing business, it's, it's also business as usual, right? Uh, there's that, um, my wife has the same business as business and Christmas is Christmas. So, um, you know, a lot of times with Asian um, culture, they might seem a little bit, it might seem like they're going your way, right? The way they'll respond to you, they'll nod, they'll say yes or whatnot. But by the time, you know, it comes down to business, it's going a whole different way. So I, I think that, that that throws a lot of people off. And a lot of times it, it discourages them. They're like, hey, man, I, I thought I was bringing something really great back to my country why isn't it working out it might not it might not be the idea but i think a lot of times it's the culture difference that you need to be sensitive about if you are sensitive about that i think it'll work out a lot better how was your brand and your new new to vietnam food item received by the local population and and you said you went from <laughs> one to four stores what was that like oh my god you are the hottest spot in town or did you have to teach people what it was you, you know what it was? So our motto was this. Seafood in Asia is very expensive because majority of the seafood gets exported to places like America. Yeah. Most people don't realize this, but 90% of the seafood that American consume is actually imported in from other countries. And so in Asia, seafood at restaurants for local people would always be marked up at least three to three to five times. And so I was like, hey, you know, I want normal people to be able to have seafood too, you know, the middle class or just anybody, it doesn't matter. And so our model was more fast casual and then we would mark it up just uh, uh, like we get it for a dollar, we'll sell it for two, right? Instead of getting it for a dollar, sell it for three or four or five. So that was our motto. And so, and so the funny thing is that, you know, with Cajun and crawfish, it gets real dirty. So the best setup has always been to put butcher paper on the table, yep. the seafood into a bag and serve it, right? Yep. So customer was like, you know, e even, even though see we were selling it at a cheaper rate, seafood was still expensive to begin with. To put it in perspective, like crab would be around like 30 bucks a kilo and that's normal going rate, you know? Yeah. And so they're like, why the heck am I buying, you know, expensive food and you're throwing in a trash bag? They straight up called it a trash bag. And, and, and we try to explain to them, we're like, no, that's not a trash bag. We're actually using, you know, food plastic bags. So that was a barrier to get over. The second one was that um, we had a friend who was in the oyster industry and um, he was working with a local French guy who moved back to Vietnam and he was... Um, farming fin de claire oysters so you know in in america we're used to the smaller oyster being of higher quality right yeah. and the bigger one are usually the lower price points so i was getting i kid you not i was getting these oysters flown in from yajang which is the middle part of vietnam from yajang to saigon flown in daily and i was serving at my restaurants and you know our whole model stayed the same so uh when they compare the oysters there's like hey why is these oysters so small? You know, it's our 
you know, are, are you ripping us off? Is it cheap? <laughs> or what's the deal? You know? <laughs> so, so, so those were some of the things that we had to overcome um, with, with, with that. And, um, and also we, we, we had to, um, you know, they weren't used to wearing bibs. You know, yeah. like I said, I brought the whole American thing that Boiling Crab was doing. And, you know, I thought it was great, you know, because that's the best way to eat seafood. Yeah. But they, it, 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 it took a while for, for them to catch on or be okay with it. Yeah. Um, I think now, it's a, now, time now, it's actually a lot easier to implement more American business models in Asia. You know, at the middle class and the upper class, you know, they're familiar with these, um, these uh, you know, these uh, types of foods and, sure. and stuff. And, and like, you know, we have the internet. So people watch YouTube and people watch, you know, other things. And at yeah. least they, they, they feel like they, they, they've seen it before. Maybe they haven't eaten it or, you know, whatnot. Um, and so going from a, a very successful multi-location chain of uh, Cajun seafood restaurants, how yeah. did the pivot to slinging fish sauce back home in America, <laughs> how, how did that transition happen? So, you know, I just want to give a shout out to my old restaurant because my friend's doing great. It's called the Cajun Ghoul. So Ghoul means crab in Vietnamese. So I did like a two, two, two word name, mm. um, you know, giving him all credit. He's the one that him and his wife was the one that expanded it uh, and, and took it to the next level. I was running the restaurant about almost a year in and me and my wife, we were just, you know, hanging out, laying in bed at night. And I was reading GQ magazine and, uh, they asked, they, they asked all the top chefs in America, what's your secret ingredient? So they all said fish sauce. You know, you got Italian chefs, American chefs, French chefs. Um, uh, David Chang was also in the mix. Yeah. You know, he was, food was blowing up back then. So I was following them. So yeah, they all said fish sauce. So I turned to my wife. I was like, hey, doesn't your family make fish sauce? And then she kind of nonchalantly just said like, yeah, so, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so, you know, another crazy light bulb went on inside my head because hmm. when I look more into it, I, I, I tend to have a, a, a tendency to um, kind of like get lost in a certain subject, kind of like when you watch YouTube and you just go deeper and deeper right? <laughs> and you don't know where the hell you ended, how the hell you ended up there. But um, yeah, so, so I started looking into fish sauce and stuff like that. And I realized 99% of the fish sauce in the market is all commercial chemical product. Huh. It's actually not even real fish sauce. They buy dead fish, they powderize it, they mix it with chemical. And that's why fish sauce has a stinky reputation because the ingredients are essentially, you know, dead decaying products. Yeah. Right. And so I learned about that. And then the more I asked about my wife's family, their history, their heritage, I was like, wow, you know, that's crazy. You know, like um, they've been doing it for 70 years. Her great, great grandfather, her great grandfather started it. So we're fourth generation. And, you know, just his story is crazy. He was an orphan just working from town to town, landed on the island, um, uh, which is where we produce the fish sauce now. Uh, he ended up, you know, like kind of like a Cinderella story. He worked for the richest family on the island, married the daughter, and then he became the richest man on the island, bought up all the land. They call him Lord of the Island. Uh, he didn't know how to read and write, but he can calculate faster than a calculator. You, you know, like just these crazy tall tale stories that you would hear of your Asian ancestors. And I was like, wow, you know, that is a crazy story. And 
And then I, I had the feeling, I was like, you know, Vietnamese people, we've been here for 30, 40 years. Um, you know, I would like us to have a product for us, by us. <laughs> you know, I grew up during the FUBU generation. So I, I, I really clinged on to that. And I was like, I, I want people to know more about Vietnamese culture besides, you know, pho and ao yai, right? That's <laughs> predominantly what we're known for. But fish sauce is actually in our blood. We use it to cook with everything. And, you know, across Asia, everybody uses fish sauce. You know, Koreans use it to make kimchi and tofu soup. Uh, Japanese have their own fish sauce. Chinese has an area where they predominantly only make fish sauce, which is crazy, right? And so all the way down to Southeast Asia. And, uh, you know, um, Andrea Nguyen, which is a James Beard art, a winner author, she, she mentioned something to me. She's like, yeah, you know, even though a lot of people think fish sauce started in Italy or the Greek and the Romans back then, it was also was in Asia because back in the day, you had to salt fish to uh, preserve it. And people don't throw anything away back then, you know, like us now. So the liquid, they realized they can use that as a salt substitute and it, and it packs a great umami and it came, great, came out great for cooking. So they can, use, they can reuse the salt and the fish oil to cook food. And that, that was great and preserve the fish at the same time. That's pretty much how it started. And so me and my wife, um, during that time, we were like, um, you know, we decided to um, sell our portion of the restaurant to my friend because he was saying there indefinitely. We learned right on, you know, you can't run a restaurant if you're not there. <laughs> and we did not have any experience to run it and scale it on that level. Uh, I think he, him and his wife was able to do it great because he came from IT background. So he did a lot of like, you know, like it, it was very precise scheduled and, and, and so it's very easy to scale up. Um, and she, you know, she brought a lot of great other menus to the, to, to the food to, to make it, um, to make it more popular. Cause at first not everybody would like Cajun, um, butter, garlic. It seems real heavy at first. Right. And so, um, and so, yeah, we moved back to the States and we launched this with zero experience about five years ago. Didn't know how to import, export, didn't know how to, um, didn't know any distributors, you know, like we did everything. Um, I mean, we're even the sample ladies, right? <laughs> we, we do samples <laughs> at the supermarket. We wanted to learn everything, you know? Um, we, we were very blessed because her family has been manufacturing fish sauce for 70 years. So we did have a great product to start out with. I think that's the most important thing. And, um, you know, I'm very proud that we didn't uh, re get any handouts from them. You know, we, we purchased the product. We built the brand. We did everything on our own. Well, one thing I really like about her family business culture is that every family member have their own brand. Hmm. So... You know, like no one is less uh, resting on the laurels, um, as mm. they say. Yeah, so everybody have their own brand, and um, our idea was uh, <clears throat> to to um, introduce artisanal traditional fish sauce to the rest of the world, not just the U.S. Um, we wanted a special product that our people could be proud of, but then we also wanted to introduce it to, you know, eight other Asian cultures and Westerners. So we named the, the brand Sun, it's named after the family island, uh, Sun Rai Island. And it also means father to son, because uh, her dad kind of gave me his blessing and passed on the baton to us. Uh, we're the fourth generation owners still doing fish sauce business, and um, we're the only ones doing it. 
So all the other, you know, um, uh, I don't know, like kids or nieces and nephews or whatever, we're, we're the only one crazy enough to do this. I mean, <laughs> in the beginning, the family's like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, like, <laughs> so some even try to talk us out of it. But I, I really believe that, you know, um, my wife's family had a great product and a great story, a lot of history, heritage and culture. And, you know, I just wanted to um, share that with the rest of the world. And I hope, you know, people can be proud of it. Five years ago, you brought your first case or bottle of sunfish sauce and nobody in America knew who you were. Now you can yeah. find it in, in shelves, you know, in multiple states and multiple restaurants, even in, in their kitchens. Share with us some early tough lessons of the hustle and the grind that it took for people to take your product and for people to get to know you. Yeah, you, you know, it, it was it was another culture shock for me because, you know, being um, usually that um, let's just talk about the Asian restaurants or the Asian supermarket. Most of the Asian supermarket, they all have great stories. They all started out in their truck. They went to Chinatown, L.A. They bought products and they sold it back in their communities, just like Sriracha. Sorry, he made it in his garage and. And he sold in his truck, just like three crabs fish sauce, very famous in America. The guy started in his garage in San Francisco making fish sauce. And so it's a very close-knit community. Everybody knows everybody. And, um, and so at first, you know, I was back in America. And then my American corporate side kind of popped up again. You know, I was back in my surroundings. But when I went to deal with these Asian supermarkets or Asian distributors, you know, it was almost like I was back in Asia again, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. And with Asian products, you know, it's I believe it's one of the toughest segments to break into. The reason why is that Asians, I think um, I can't speak for other races, but I feel like a lot of us are nature of habit. When we go into an Asian supermarket, you know, we'll buy familiar products that our parents bought. Right. And so what happens is that, you know, back after 75, um, after the Vietnam War, a lot of the Vietnamese products didn't make their way here because of the trade embargo. We didn't open up to 91 or 92. Right. So a lot of other countries, they created Vietnamese products for the Vietnamese people. And, uh, you know, I have to thank them for that because, I mean, back in that day, you'd be happy to find a fish sauce on a bottle to make some food. You know, it's not like you're going to be picky or choosy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, it was very tough because nobody who knew who we were and majority of the people that shop you know, how Asian parents shop, you know, they, they, they might stop by for a sample, but then they, they just move on and buy the things they always buy, yeah. right? Creature of habit. I'm sure in your family, you guys have a go-to ramen noodle that you buy a certain brand yep. or a certain kimchi, you know, you just stick with that. It's very, very tough to break through. Sure. And so, you know, we, um, what advice is that just try anything and everything because, because being a small company, you're, your biggest advantage is that think of yourself as an anchovy swimming among sharks or whales, right? You can pivot, you, you can, you can maneuver, you know, you can swim through them real quick and that's your only advantage that you have. You can make quick decisions and change up your whole strategy overnight. 
And so that's what we did. We tried a little bit of everything. We did radio, we did samples, we did newspaper, we did uh, events, we did everything. And, um, and you know, certain products, certain ways of uh, doing it will, will, will hit. And I would say, go with your crazy ideas, whatever products you have, because some of my craziest ideas has, has worked out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed and honored to say we service majority of the Las Vegas casinos with our fish sauce. And when I say that, a lot of people is like, wow, you know, casinos buy fish sauce, you know, cause that's the last place you think, yeah. right? Well, but actually, you know, um, we're, we're going through this whole like Asian wave right now. You can see it in everywhere. Right. And so, um, Westerners or non-Asians, their interest in what we call pan-Asian now. Pan-Asian is a little bit of everything. You get right. a little bit of Korean food, a little bit of Japanese, Chinese, uh, Thai, Vietnamese, Singaporean, Malaysian food. And so this wave is happening right now. We're, we're actually becoming mainstream in a lot of places. And so I guess like I would never be able to service them if I never thought, hey, you know, why not give it a try? I see them serving pho, you know or some, some Vietnamese food, who knows? Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's how we, we, we kind of survive to this day. It's just hitting up everybody doing anything we can um, because we don't have the kind of capital to, to build a brand institutionally, you know, institution business, when a brand comes out, you see it on TV, they spend millions of dollars and it, is, it also happens to be the, the best product and the cheapest on the shelf, too. Right. And they ride it out for maybe three, five years before they start picking up. And as a small business owner, you know, you just don't have the capital to survive that long. You know? Um, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a common theme that we hear from our other guests on the show. You know, I, I think a wing lamb from Wahoo is where you're a one-man band, right? Like, you're, your name, your face, your personality is the brand is the product you have to go out there you have to let them know who you are because you're right you don't have the luxury of sending them a you know a, a super expensive some design firm created thing and, and to say you know come you know we'll, we'll take you on this marketing tour or come visit us at our hq it's literally like you said you and a box of stuff out the back of your truck to say hey this is the good stuff try us out and so I would even say even in five years for you to go from I have an idea to being in the Las Vegas Strip, being at the slanted door at the Ferry Building, you know, all these places that many listeners probably have tried their food and realizing that your product and the kind of the story behind of how it all led to here. I think that is super cool, man. Um, let's talk about what's going on now, right? Because you are in communication with the casinos, the, the restaurants, and even the supermarkets. So let's say the supermarkets are doing much better on, in general because people are cooking at home. Um, uh -huh. what, what are you hearing from some of your restaurant clients or restaurant friends? Because I, I don't imagine that they're ordering their same normal quantities from you. And, and how have you had to pivot a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. You know, I went to sleep one night and the next night, the next day when I woke up, you know, 50% of my business was essentially wiped out. You know, all the casinos shut down, all the big rest restaurant groups shut down. You know, some are, are working really hard to, you know, do whatever it takes to keep, you know, just 
breaking even each month so they can keep their staff alive. And some have really actually stepped up and you know cook foods for medical um, uh, workers with firemen and stuff like that. And so and so it's crazy right now. I think after this is over, life as we know it is going to change on every single level. You know, um, a lot of um, I, I talk to some people in the space that is doing like you know ghost kitchens and stuff, which is what the Uber um, guy right. is doing, and then um, Vision Fund from uh, from Mr. Sun, you know, from SoftBank. He's yeah. also invested in some stuff, um, you know, some um, ghost kitchen um, setups and stuff. I think everybody's on that now, and all of them were telling me. They were, you know, they were planning the seeds for the ghost kitchens to hit in 10 years, five to 10 years. But, you know, with this whole CV thing, it's literally, you know, it fast forward them by 10 years and it's happening now. Right. You know, and I, I, I think it's a good thing that um, this virus is not so deadly because it really exposed us to how unprepared, not just the world or our country, but us as individuals, you know, how unprepared we are. You know, we, we see this in the movies all the time. And what's crazy, all the movies we're watching, it's happening, I would say 99%, you know, <laughs> script per script. And it really showed how unprepared we are. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that this, this, this virus is not as deadly as maybe some down the line. I hope it never happens, but yeah. You know, I think with globalization, it's so easy. But yeah, long story short, I think with any business model right now, it's it's a good time to reflect and 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 kind of see and 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 talk to each other, lean on each other, and then kind of realize, hey, how can we move forward? Because reality is, everybody's got to eat, everybody's got to work, everybody got to buy clothing. Yep. You know, I don't think I don't think most of the business will go out of business. They just have to readjust how the business model is going to be um i I, i'm a believer of you know times like this is when you can it's actually there's opportunities you know positively too i agree yeah let's talk about the future of danny and future of sun so you are you and your wife are fourth generation is this something that you tell your future kids to make it number five how do you view that? Because the world is changing so much faster. You know, um, a lot of people might be surprised by this, but Sunfish Sauce is only one step of our three-step plan. Our plan was, um, so step one, we wanted to show the world that, hey, there, um, because Vietnam, um, Vietnam, I, I can't speak for other countries, but Vietnam or uh, has kind of a brand image issue, right? I think a lot of communist countries have that or third world that they just don't produce high quality products, but we all know that not to be true. You know, um, Samsung is made in Vietnam, Apple is made in China and all the world uses it. And so I wanted to, to, to show first for the Vietnamese abroad, Hey, there are high quality products in Vietnam. It's not all poison that they think that, you know, like the manufacturers are all poisoning them. Cause I think that's a crazy notion because why would you want to kill your own, uh, <laughs> your, 
you know, your, 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 your own uh, customers. Right. Yes, there are lower quality products and there are products with a lot of chemicals in it. But you know what? Reality is nobody beats America with, <laughs> with chemical products. All the products we see at the shelf, it looks like a chemistry page. Um, not to knock on any of those brands, but that's just a reality that yeah. people like to turn a blind eye to, but then, yeah. you know, gawk at, um, you know, certain countries. And so <laughs> I wanted to change that image because um, a lot of people don't realize this, but the number one country that Vietnam uh, does food trading with is actually Japan. And we all know how tough Japan food, food, uh, um, you know, uh, laws and stuff are. And... I would say the second or third toughest food country would be Korea and Singapore. And it just so happens Korea is the number two country we do food manufacturing with. And so I want to let people know, hey, we do have high quality products. You just have to support us because if there's the plant demand, there will be supply. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, and the sec so, so that was the first phase of our project. Um, our second one is that we wanted to do a restaurant program. So we started at about a year ago. Um, we have to say big thank you to Slender Door. They were kind of the first to uh, talk to us about it and was open to supporting us and our brand. And, um, and, and so um, the idea with restaurant program is that we wanted to provide a premium product at commercial pricing for all our restaurants. Because whether you're cooking Vietnamese food or Korean food or Japanese food, the, the younger generation, like the new wave of talented chefs, you know, they can choose to cook uh, Japan, um, they, they can choose to cook um, Western cuisine, Italian, American, French, and make so much more money, right? but they choose to cook their, their, their blood, which is Vietnamese food, Korean food, Japanese food. We're, we're kind of see a regurgence, not a uh, surgeon, but like a new wave, right? Of like, um, I think you kind of um, like of younger chefs that is cooking their own food and they're, they're getting on the map, which is awesome. And so we were like, you know, all these Asian brands are, they're, they're using, no one is supporting them. So I wanted to do something about that. You know, my bread and butter is supermarket and, um, and, but our passion is we want to, to do a restaurant program and support them in that way. And so that's kind of been our second step because we kind of feel like being in the food industry, you know, um, it's a full circle, right? People go to supermarket to buy the product or they go to the restaurants and, um, and speaking on the restaurant, you know, real quick, I, I, I would come out and just say it. The new wave of Asian restaurants, doesn't matter what cuisine, I would say they're more authentic than the, than the old school restaurants. Here's why. The new wave, they're cooking it like our parents would. They buy the best ingredients. Whereas the old school Asian restaurants, you know, they're looking to cut corners and price war each other. The race to the bottom where nobody wins. Right. And so I would say the new wave is actually cooking more authentic hmm. food. And then secondly, they they're utilizing all the techniques that they learned from their parents or from French culinary, whatever. But all these techniques takes a day or two to make, which is exactly like how our parents would make food at home. Right. Right. And so with those two things, best ingredients and, you know, taking the time to cook it. I think, you know, they're, they're more authentic than, than, you know, the, 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 the old school one, nothing to knock against the old school, but I just, I just, 
hate when I hear, oh, you know, modern Asian, modern cuisine, modern <laughs> Vietnamese, you know, fusion. Well, you know what? If you look at it, the way our parents cook it, no, nobody will cook the same bowl of pho. Every mom have her own recipe. So does that make it not authentic? Of course right. not. But every mom for sure buys the best ingredient for their family or the best they could afford. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I, I want to change that narrative a little bit. And so we're, we're, we're kind of in our second stage now. And lastly, our third stage is that I really hope that um, food menu, artisanal or high quality food manufacturers from Vietnam and maybe other Asian countries that can see what we're doing and be like, hey, you know, I don't need to water down my product to sell across the overseas. I can sell a high quality product because I see other brands are able to um, do well with it. So I, I, I want, you know, I, I, I want, I hope to show that and, and um, you know, do more than just myself. I think that I hear your story, Danny. I think it's so amazing because you, you've lived in both countries. You, you've taken and, and learned uh, the best of what you can from both cultures and, and both, you know, business practices or business cultures. And now you've just gone, taken everything. And yes, it's a business. Of course, it's supposed to make money. But your vision is is far greater than that. And I think there are so many of us now, right, whether it's you or tie with Asians Never Die or me doing this or anybody else. Yes, we are grateful for our parents for putting survival at the top of the list and doing whatever they had to do for us to get here. Um, but I think now it's this amazing wave and we're not even, we're just at the beginning of it where so many of us are leaning into the rich history and culture that's made us and trying to make the best of it in this American context. Um, but like you said, the world is getting smaller. So, you know, whether you are doing business here and in Asia, it doesn't seem as wild as it used to be. The hurdles are not there as much. Um, and so, you know, as we come out of this, you know, COVID-19 how pandemic, however long it lasts, I think we're also starting to see, at least in conversations with friends and other folks in the community, like, we have to take care of ourselves and not a very, you know, uh, my own family, but as a community, right? And that includes helping each other, shopping at each other's restaurants, you know, ordering to go. If you had to choose, you know, go to go, go buy McDonald's or go to a locally owned store. Like I think more of us are starting to lean towards locally owned stuff because we all have friends in that line of work. So, um, yeah, th this has been super cool. Um, so I, I want to get your final thoughts in the form of a letter that we finish most of our shows with, and it goes back to the theme of the Asian Americans. And you mentioned Damon John's FUBU earlier. And so, you know, the, the, the letter concept is also very much of a for us bias, right? This show, <laughs> this podcast is a for us or to us, from us, but also bias. Um, so I'll, I'll start the letter, the Asian Americans, and whether it is a, a younger version of Danny back in Costa Mesa in 92 <laughs> or, you know, future Danny Jr. at some point, um, share with us what you would like to say uh, to the Asian American community. So I, I will start the letter. Uh, dear Asian Americans. Yeah, I would say, dear Asian Americans, um, go for it. You know, um, what do you have to lose? I think 
that your crazy ideas are always going to be your best ideas. It's kind of cliche to say, but you know, uh, when you take the test, it always end up the first guess that you take and you don't go with it. It always ends up being the right answer. And so I would, I would tell, um, you know, others to go with your gut instincts. And I, I hope from this sharing my story from this podcast and hearing other stories, you know, that Jerry is doing, it will show you that, um, as Asian Americans, you know, the, the world is our oyster, you know, we, we have an advantage for being dual culture and that, that we should use that as a tool. And, um, and also, um, you know, Jerry's podcast will also show that there's Asian Americans in all aspects of industry, uh, whether you're a business owner or you're in corporate life. Um, you know, you, you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be an engineer if you want to, but there's also so much more. And um, I, his podcasts, your podcast, Jerry, definitely show that, uh, you know, you can be successful doing other things, not just monetarily, but, you know, just being successful in your community or because at the end of the day, health is wealth. And as long as you're happy, that's something money can't buy. Thank you, Danny. I, you know, this is all that's going on and getting to know you and, and so many people through this process is you're absolutely right. There's no one there's no one way to be a good Asian, a good Asian American, you know. You can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be anything you want, but ultimately it's, you know, are you, are, are you making your parents proud and doing the most that you can? Um, and then I think, you know, doing interviews like this and, and the storytelling projects like this is, you know, like, what are you leaving to the kids, right? Like your, your wife's great grandfather started this thing that now is your income and your livelihood and your, and your passion in life. So as, as we think about, you know, what, things of sure survival and, and money and legacy is great but you know what can they be proud of of grandpa danny and grandpa jerry years from now and saying they built something <laughs> yeah. that you know also because as so many of our guests have said like we can't change the color of our skin we can't change our history so let's lean into it let's be proud of it um not you know in, in the most healthy and most productive of ways and um and really look around the room and see who we can help because um, right now mm -hmm. Uh, particularly with all that's going on, we are going to be our best support system. And so if you are going to an Asian supermarket, uh, you're listening to this on the way to the supermarket and you see sun on the shelf, buy that, try it, buy one for your mom, tell her to change her habits. If you, if you go to a restaurant that has, you know, that you know that use fish sauce, you know, um, ask him to check it out. I, I think this is the time to really start a, a global movement of us supporting each other's businesses because you're right you know even you might be a doctor but you know what you cook food at home you might be a lawyer but you got a friend who runs a restaurant so there are there are ways to help everybody and so danny thank you so much this is and then for to give you context we went from introduction to recording this within 24 hours so i, I really appreciate <laughs> your energy and your desire to come on and share your story best of luck I look forward to uh, better days when we can do one of these in person or, or to go to a restaurant that uses your sauce and, and have a drink and, and celebrate, man. Yeah, definitely. Real quick, if you don't mind, um, um, you know, during this crisis, what we are also doing is that we're um, supplementing fish sauce to all our restaurants around the world. Um, you know, even if you're not my customer, if um, I have distribution channels to get it to you, just go out and uh, go ahead and reach out to me. 
And uh, my Instagram is sunfish sauce, S-O-N-F-I-S-H sauce, um, or info at sunfishsauce.com. And then, you know, that's something we want to do to give back to the community. Um, if you're giving out free fish sauce, rice, you know, basic Asian necessity, I can also help supplement with that. Or if you're just, you know, cooking for frontliners, um, you know, it's, um, it's not a lot, but, you know, we hope that, um, you know, we can contribute something to the cause. And I think, you know, keeping ourselves busy with positive things will um, we'll get the days go by faster because at the very least, we still got to the end of the month, guys. <laughs> at least to the end of the month. Uh, we're recording this on the 8th, so we got another three weeks to go. Hey, that's something awesome that you guys are doing. And, and so on behalf of everybody who's benefited from that and um, all the way down to our um, ridiculously brave and amazing frontline health workers who um, are, are putting their lives out there um, so we can have even the privilege of having this conversation. Um, thank you for doing that. Um, again, reach out to Danny at Sunfish Sauce or check him out on the website, uh, sunfishsauce.com and, and get in touch with him that way. Or if you have a restaurant friend in your life or somebody else who you know can benefit from uh, his generosity and his program, uh, share this episode with them, share his contact info with them. Um, all I know is at the end of all this, Danny, we are gonna throw probably one of the biggest parties Asian America has ever seen. <laughs> And it's going to be so good. Yeah, it's going to be so good to see everybody and, you know, and to put real faces to all, all the interactions and all the help that we've given each other uh, during this challenging time. So uh, to you and, and your family and your, and your company and your team, thank you so much. Best of luck. And, and I will see you in brighter days, my friend. We'll have drinks soon, everybody. All righty. Thank you, Danny. Thanks. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Danny. What a great story and that last piece about his offer to help any business, uh, whether customers of his or not, uh, get his product, Sunfish Sauce, and additional ingredients right now free of charge to make sure that they can stay open. If you are a business on the West Coast that is doing the good work of feeding our heroes, please reach out to Danny. I've gotten a great chance to get to know him the last couple of weeks through this experience and he will respond. He will help. And if he can't do it himself, he'll find a way to help you. So if you are or know of somebody who is a restaurant owner or somebody trying to raise money to make sure that we can get food out the door, employees paid, and restaurants open, please reach out to Danny. Again, you can reach him on Instagram at sunfishsauce or email him at info at sunfishsauce.com. Thanks again to Danny for coming on the show and sharing his story. If Danny's story resonated with you, or if the show resonates with you, please share the episode and the show out with a friend, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook, or just texting a friend and saying, hey, you should check out this show. That would mean the world to me. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Dear Asian Americans. And you can even find us on LinkedIn. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Until next time, Dear Asian Americans, stay healthy, stay safe. This has been your host, Jerry Wan.